Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello. It's great to be with you. Today, we are continuing our self-care series where we're talking to people from varying backgrounds and varying fields of expertise about their life experiences and what they've learned over the years, particularly around this area of self-care. And so today, we are fortunate to have with us Reverend Dr. Beth Brown, who works as a pastor at Lincoln Park Presbyterian Church in Chicago. So Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here with both of you. We are excited. And all of us, some of you may know from our intro, share this kind of pastoring story. So it's exciting to sit in this space and share together. And Beth, we thought that it might be helpful to just start with a little bit about your story, get a window into your world. Maybe we could kick it off by talking a little bit about what do you enjoy about the work that you do? And maybe on the other side of that, are there things that you find a little challenging or a little draining about your work? I should preface all of what I'm going to say by saying my work encompasses more than just being a pastor, because I'm also involved in uh, city government, if you will. I serve as a commissioner on a community commission for public safety and accountability. And I also recently launched what's called the Faith Community Initiative, which is a citywide effort to get faith communities here in Chicago to house, support, and accompany asylum seekers living in police stations. So when I talk about my work, it's beyond its church work and all the things that connect in with that as well. So when I think about what I enjoy, I often say to people that what I feel luckiest about, there there are two things in particular. One is I really get to be with people at some of the most significant moments in their lives. And it can be the happiest significant moments And it can be the hardest, most devastating, significant moments. And I don't take for granted that it's a privilege to be invited in at those moments. It's those are such sacred moments. And the fact that I get to to use Bio Akumalafe's term, that I get to witness those moments is quite amazing. So I love that part of what I do. I also every day is different in my work every single day. There are things I have to do. It's not week to week. There are things that I do that are the same that I accomplish. I write a sermon. I create liturgy. I I do similar things each week, but it's always different. And I get to be in charge of my own schedule. And I love the fact that I get to write. I get to offer pastoral care to people. I get to rabble rouse citywide. I work with amazing interfaith clergy to do the rabble rousing piece. And I just, I get to do so many different things. I just, I don't think there's ever a risk of being bored. It's just, it's very exciting to not do the same thing every single day. So I love that part. 
And I will say part of that is I, I don't know if I'm unusual in this, but I hear from other people that I'm a little unusual in this. I have strong gifts across a wide spectrum of areas. And so I get to use those gifts in ways that are quite meaningful. So uh, example, like some people are really good at administration and not great at preaching or really good at pastoral care and not great at administration. Everybody has their areas. And I have been fortunate that I have depth of skills across all the areas that I'm required to do. So my job doesn't stress me out because of all the different things I have to do and get to do because I do most of them fairly well. I've talked to other colleagues for people who are not strong in administration, doing the administration is very stressful. Or for people who are not great at pastoral care, having to provide that care becomes very stressful. And I don't have those pieces. I I don't have those pieces where I feel like I'm not good at this, but I still have to do it every single week. So I feel fortunate in that way. And it also, I realize that it impacts my stress level differently than it does some of my colleagues. Thank you. I I love hearing some of this background. And I'm curious, has that always been the case for you? Or have you had different practices over the years that have helped you to hone in? Because it sounds like you have really healthy rhythms and just also maybe capitalizing on the fact that you get to have these beautiful sacred moments with people, both some of the challenging ones and the beautiful ones. And so I'm curious how this term of self-care and what that has looked like for you as far as what has grounded you over the years in in these practices. I think self-care can be a bit tricky. And I think particularly in the clergy world, there is a lot of, I think a lot of people feel pressure to be working always. When I entered ministry, I entered as part of a co-pastor team. I used to be married to a man who was co-pastor with me. And I think because of that, we had some mentors who said to us, if you're going to be co-pastors, you need to be good at setting boundaries. I don't think we were great because we certainly worked more than half time each, which is what we were paid for. But what we did do is we established early on that two days off a week, we were going to take off. Most clergy only take one day a week. And I don't know how they do that. Every clergy person I know actually takes one day a week. And people are always shocked when they hear, I've been doing this now for 30 years. And in my 32 years, I have always set two days as my days off. Now, Obviously, you know that I work some on some of those days, but people think I'm off for those two days. And if I need to be off, I can be off for those two days. And I think that was a big part early on of doing some kind of self-care. I I really think that being able to set and keep boundaries is difficult for pastors because of that deep desire to care give. And I think it's critical for mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health. So that's one of the, I think, the biggest things I've done in terms of self-care over the years. Yeah, I think we could all speak to that. You're right. 
that people would take two days off would sound almost crazy to people, right? And so I assume there are specific things that you like to do with those two days. I also assume that there are things that you need in your day-to-day as well, like the, the other five days of the week, right? So what do you do at that time? Yeah, I think probably the, the two things I do most consistently, I would say, are I prioritize exercise. I think for me, exercise definitely works to reduce stress and the effects of it on me. So it's just a way to chill, chill the, we can get really in this hum, how electricity hums. I feel like we get that way in our bodies. And so when I exercise, it brings my hum down a little bit. I think also for the most part, I try to focus on eating things that are good for me. I'm like everybody else. And one of my favorite foods is French fries. It might be that I'm having a salad and French fries instead of just French fries or something else. But I think overall, I'm pretty good at prioritizing food that's gonna be good for my body, knowing how much I ask of my body on a daily basis. So I think those two things, and I would say prioritizing relationships have been a big part of it for me over the years, whether it's relationship with a partner or relationship with friends and making sure that I'm not working so much that I have no time for any of those things. I do think early on, because I was raised in a very conservative setting, and that's how I began ministry, I certainly for a long time made myself be disciplined about some kind of what we used to call in, in evangelical circles, do I would do my daily devotional. And over time, I found that it was not at all feeding my soul and gave up the forced part of that. And so now it takes different forms. Um, I, a few times a week, I try to walk in the bird sanctuary at some point. And that certainly is a form of meditation for me. I read in the mornings. I don't, I, I allow myself time to sit with my coffee and I read. Sometimes I might read something that is pertaining to a sermon series I'm doing, but a lot of times I'm reading something that is just, that feeds my soul in some way. So those are things. Beth, I'm curious if you could speak a little bit more to some of the mindset that maybe we have as clergy or people that do really care about the work that they do and the temptation to want to work overtime or extra hours without compensation or to give above and beyond to the point of exhaustion. Um, What are some of the mindset things that you've found over the years that have helped you to know? I appreciate you naming that boundaries are important. And I think for many of us in this line of work, that can be difficult. So anything you would speak to around that area? Let's see. Sure. And this is in story form. The first church I served out of seminary, I would have been 28. And the two pastors, I was an associate pastor, along with my co-pastor, ex-husband, who was also my co-associate pastor. And we worked with two men who were of a different generation. And we were taking two days off a week. And it became clear early on that one of the men in particular was quite upset with us for taking two days off. 
And eventually there was some conflict that was happening in another place in that big staff. And so eventually in some conflict mediation overall, what came out was this pastor was very resentful of us setting boundaries because he had been taught that you have to earn you have to earn your way to being able to take more time and you have to put in your hours and suffer your suffer your lack of family time your lack of friend time all that stuff and i just remember looking at him and saying i am sorry for you that is what you were taught and i hope you're hearing yourself because what you're saying is that has made you miserable and so why would you want that for me and it's really just i think part of it is being able to stand up to to unhealthy teaching in so many different ways and he was at that time he was in his early 60s and that was how he had been taught to do ministry and i think always the benefit of having younger clergy is that younger clergy can say wow this thing that you were taught to do makes zero sense and that can be related to liturgy it can be related to language all the things but it's so healthy to have a range and to have people saying what's up with that because that makes no sense whatsoever so that i think just being able to say just because you're doing something doesn't make it healthy or good for you or anyone right so being able to step outside of that and say wow just because people do it doesn't mean it's good so i think that's part of how i i was able to do a little bit of a mind shift with that that is very brave. It's hard to stand up to people that are older than us, but I I love what you're saying that sometimes younger people can help us to look at things differently. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about another aspect of the pastoral experience, which is we hear a lot of stories. We hear people's lives, their hearts, their heartaches. And then it's not just the congregation, right? As soon as anybody finds out that you hold this title to this day, I often have people that will get in touch. I was maybe in an exercise class with them and they just randomly text me like, hey, we haven't talked in years, but here's what's going on in my life. I often am holding a lot of stories. So for Mm -hmm. self-care purposes, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest parts. And I will say like when it comes to standing up to people, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And so it is a little bit second nature to me to stand up to people. (laughs) So it isn't anything great that I'm doing. I feel like it's just part of who I am. The holding is very hard. And I've noticed recently that it feels like it's getting harder. We have, so I, I started this thing with work with migrants and there are 10,000 in the city of Chicago that don't have stable housing right now. In Chicago, if you're working with any population experiencing homelessness, it is a lot to hold. And especially for people who I like to solve problems, I like to activate, I like to see something from beginning to end. And when it comes to things where you can do one little piece, but you can't do the whole thing, it gets harder and harder to hold that. So I think having to do a lot of self 
conversation around uh, what is mine to do here and what is not mine to do. Um, I think being clear about some of those pieces. It's interesting. Um, I preached a sermon recently in response to, I, I do a lot of, I, I pull in a lot of justice things in terms of my sermons. And one of my congregation members said, lately I've been feeling guilty coming to church. And I feel guilty because I feel like I'm not doing enough. Now, if you knew this woman, that statement would like, you'd fall off your chair and you'd be like, you got to be kidding me. So I talked with her a little bit about it. And she just said, I'm working so much that I don't have time to do this and this. And so I preached a sermon about guilt and a part of it, it was about something else, but I brought in this whole section about guilt. And I just basically said, I do not feel guilty for things. I just, I feel like it's a real waste of time. If there's something that I've done, if I've committed an offense against you, then I, my hope is that you're going to come to me and let me know that. And then I will do what I can do to make it right. I am, I, I will always make amends when I know that is an option and in all the ways I know how to do that. But to hang on to guilt is the, is nonsensical. And I was saying in the sermon, like, anything else but guilt like guilt is the thing that we actually really don't have to hold on to it is it, it serves nobody and no purpose and so if you're a person who feels guilt regularly let's look into that because it's an it, it's a feeling that goes nowhere so how can what can you do with it if you're somebody who feels that regularly and i think I think that's part of the bigger picture of how do we hold all these things. I think a lot of clergy f- end up feeling guilty about a lot of things. And, and if I were going to coach those folks, I would really coach them on, on learning some new ways to respond to whatever it is that's bringing up the guilt for them. I also had a spiritual director one time who I shared a story with that was a heavy story. And I said to her at the time, I'm worried about you holding this story. She said, oh, you don't have to worry about me. She said, one of my practices as a spiritual director is I find a container, like a literal physical container. And at the end of each day, I lift what's been given to me and I put it in this container, knowing that it's safe, contained, and I can access it anytime. And I ended up at the end of that, of our time together, I ended up giving her big, huge, beautiful clay sculpted container. And I think about that image a lot. And so when I am feeling so just weighed down and burdened by the stuff that I'm seeing and hearing and experiencing with people, I bring to mind the image of that big pot. And obviously we could say our spiritual source is also a container that that we can hand those things over to. And then I think doing the work around, if I'm hanging on to something, if I'm not willing to, to give something over to my container, then what is that about for me? Am I needing to feel important? Am I needing to feel useful? Am I needing, what is that about as well? So I think that's part of what helps me. I'm also, I will say, 
I am great at taking my vacation. I always take vacation. Although I will say this year has been terrible because every vacation I've taken, emergencies have happened that I've had to deal with on my vacation, which is rare, but I feel like this year has been weird. But I do take the time and I negotiated. I finally learned how to negotiate later in my clergy life. And when I came here 10 years ago, I negotiated for 35 days of vacation, including seven Sundays, and they were willing to give it to me. And that doesn't include my study leave, which I also prioritize. So I do think part of it is we we have to take time away and not work the whole time we're away. One of the things I like to do is leave the country when I can so that people can't readily get a hold of me. But obviously that's not always possible, but it really helps when I can because people know that they can't just text me. And then also learning how to, in day-to-day, if it's my day off, I don't have to respond to somebody's text. I can choose to. And I think one of the questions I always ask myself is, am I going to resent this person if I respond to them on my time? And if the answer to that is yes, then I don't answer. And part of that is you have to work with a congregation to help them understand boundaries, because it's all about boundary setting and boundary keeping. Wow, Beth, thank you so much for all of this. I feel like if I went back to my first years as a pastor, this needs to be heard. I, I probably wouldn't have used the words guilt, I would, but I would have used the word shame. I feel ashamed. Yes, um, yes, that's such similar. a big piece. And one thing I didn't say, and I know we're probably at time here, but it's much worse for pastors of color. I served on, in the Presbyterian Church, we have what's called a Committee on Ministry which kind of serves as offering pastoral care to pastors. And I will say there is just a deep history of particularly like specific, specifically historic Black churches demanding and expecting so much out of their clergy to the point where if they take the vacation they're given, which is not much to begin with, but if they take that vacation they're looked down upon. And so I feel like in the whole area of self-care, we just always have to be cognizant of all the differences related to culture, race, even class in terms of churches, and how that impacts all of the areas that we've just been talking about. No, that's really good. And even as I'm hearing you talk now, I'm reminded of some stuff that Valerie Kaur has done. She wrote See No Stranger, but this notion of, is it self-care or is it community care? And I feel like so much of your story is about bringing your community in. Here are the needs and here are the people that I go to. So thank you for bringing all of that up. Yeah. And I think, again, as a white clergy person, I notice it's so different for me than it is for some of my colleagues of color in terms of it. I do think, I appreciate you saying that there is a difference between self-care and community care, and how are we all participating in community care, even beyond our congregations? And some of that is like, how am I standing with and for my clergy colleagues? So when we're in our big denominational meetings, and it shows that their pay is this amount instead of this amount, how are we engaging in community care 
with our colleagues and um, and with others and knowing when it's our turn to pick up the mantle for things when they're getting tired. So all of those pieces, which could be three more podcasts for sure. Yes. Maybe we'll just make that happen. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for all of this. And if it's okay, we'll link maybe to Lincoln Park Presbyterian in the show notes. And then people, if they are in the Chicago area, can maybe get involved in some of that work. Is that okay with you? Great. And if you could also link to our faith community initiative, it's faithcommunityinitiative.org. We'd love for people who want to participate in some of that to do that as well. Okay, we will do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, great. It's good to have you, Thank Beth. Thank you, Christina. Take yeah. care. And now is the time in our podcast where we take a moment to talk about what we are into. And you may have noticed it's just Christina and Christina today. Chris is off in a meeting and will be back next week. So you'll only hear two what we are into. But that being said, Christina, what are you into? So it is cold here in Wisconsin and I never liked turtlenecks. I know like over the years, turtlenecks have been in style but I have found these, I don't know if it's called a mock turtleneck or something. And I'm actually wearing one today from Target. The material's really soft. It bunches a little bit around the neck. And I bought several of the same turtlenecks in different colors. And so I am all into my Target mock cinchy kind of turtlenecks that have soft material. Very nice. Yes, I used to own quite a few mock turtlenecks. It has been a while, but I, I think it's a great alternative. By the time these air, we will have gone past the December months. But for me right now, it's all about like, how will we embrace the holiday season? And usually that involves baking cookies. And something in me was like, no, I don't want to bake cookies this year. So we are doing candies. We're going back to maybe things that I just don't make because I take all the energy and put it into the cookies. So I'm very excited about pulling out candy-esque recipes and we'll see what the month brings. Thank you everyone for being with us and we will look forward to being with you again soon. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week.